Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Good morning. I'm thankful for Hannah reading that uh, passage you're going to be looking at. If you want to go in your Bibles or if you have a Bible app, uh, you can go to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 18 through 21. This short passage, but has a lot of important principles for us in how we live our lives. And so if you'll go there while you're heading that way, let me just mention a couple things. We had a great Easter weekend. We had uh, just under 6,000 people here in the for, the, uh, for the weekend Easter services. Then we had um, just under 1,000 people here for our Good Friday service. So it was great to have folks back on the campus even more and people coming out. We've met a lot of new people and, and uh, ministering to a lot of familiar faces as well as uh, new faces to us. So it was a great weekend. Also, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we shared with you that the elders who are the uh, leaders of Calvary, that that board under the direction of God himself, under the headship of Christ. That board leads Calvary, and they are laymen who are part of the church family who help guide the direction and philosophy and the theological and biblical foundations of Calvary. They were looking for input on someone they've been praying about and they've been talking to and actually who'd been meeting with them and considering uh, Warren Johnson to be a, an elder, to join the elder board, the elder team. And uh, we got some great input from you. We were able to share that with Warren and the elders uh, prayed and, and uh, Warren considered and prayed before the Lord. And so just wanted to announce that Warren has been added to our elder board and so we're excited about that and would ask you to be praying for Warren Johnson. Thankful for, yeah, thankful for his willingness. This, uh, we meet uh, one Thursday a month for three or four hours and go over uh, the details of things that are happening here. And under, again, Christ's headship, then the elders lead, and I answer them, and I am one of the elders. I'm the only staff member who is an elder, and uh, they do my annual review, and uh, they seek to lead forward. And then I have the privilege as senior pastor to lead our team alongside a wonderful group of uh, staff leadership of pastors and, and uh uh, ministry directors, but I'm so grateful for our elders uh, and their heart for God and their desire to see God use Calvary in this generation to reach people for Christ and to have Warren's voice there is a great thing. I'm thankful for Warren and Lisa being willing to have us uh, share their story a few weeks ago, and thanks again for your input. One other thing I wanted to mention, I missed this two years ago because we were so shut down in April of 2000, but in April of 2000, my only sibling, my younger brother, Troy, who's on staff here, turned 52 years ago today. And so that means today is his birthday. He's 52 years old today. And since I didn't get to point out that he turned 52 years ago uh, publicly, I thought this would be a great opportunity to do that. And I came up with a photo of my brother uh, and me when he was two years of age. And uh, he's wearing the blue sweater. He's the one who looks bewildered and doesn't know what's happening in the world. I look like the one who's got it together and is... I'm in the red sweater, but um, I do love my brother dearly. I have no other siblings. He's three and a half years younger than me. Today is his 52nd birthday. And uh, so if you know him or see him in the lobby, he came on our staff a few years ago. He came on our staff in a unique way. I never thought we would necessarily serve on the same pastoral team. He'd been in pastoral ministry as well as business in his past. 
And he got to know our then executive pastor, Curtis Johnson, about seven or eight years ago. They got to know each other. And one day after Troy had visited here for a little bit and they'd spent some time together, Curtis said to me, I'm going to hire your brother to work here. I said, you're what? That's going to be awkward and odd. And he said, well, he's got some skills we need for a development pastor. And what we'll do is I'll talk with the elders, get their approval, which he did. And he said, and then uh, you'll never know what he makes. You don't know his job description. He'll answer directly to the executive pastor, but we think he can be a great addition to the team. And Troy has been a good addition, and I've enjoyed having him here. When we moved here 13 plus years ago from the East, we didn't have any, we really had no friends that we knew of, um, deep friendships or family west of the Mississippi. We were so much Midwest and East Coast people. So to have uh, my brother and Stephanie and their kids come out here about seven years ago uh, has been a great joy. And we don't really talk business when we're having a cookout or whatever. I leave that to him and the executive pastor now, uh, Pastor Brian Howard and uh, Jason McMaster will join us in July to take that role fully. Uh, but uh, I leave that to them to uh, work together. But it is a privilege to have him on our team. And I just thought I'd say happy birthday to my brother. And uh, you can harass him that he's 52 years of age today. I mentioned last week in our Easter services that Leslie and I were going to spend a few days late in the week, which we did Thursday, Friday, and flew back yesterday morning. We were in, uh, in New York City visiting our son, John, who works for the New York Times and lives in Brooklyn. And he had to work during the days, but we had great evenings with him. And um, so we really, really found ourselves just relaxing. And on Friday, it was a picture-perfect day in New York City. The flowers were blooming. It was beautiful. It was 72 degrees. Their, their spring had been delayed quite a bit. And so Leslie and I even did something we hadn't done in over two decades, in over 20 years, in our visits to New York City. And we were even there last fall and been there many times. But we hadn't done a carriage ride in Central Park in over two two decades. And so it was around noon on Friday. The temperature was 72, 73 degrees. Uh, it was Earth Day, so there were a lot of activities in the park with gatherings and different things. And also, it was just that time of year when uh, the, you could just see throughout the park the little green, the bright green of the leaves just coming on to the trees. You could see the buds and the flowers and the, the trees with blossoms. And as we drove through, through the park in this 45-minute carriage ride we took, it was just a gorgeous day. There were signs of spring showing up everywhere. We had a great time. There were even people out on the lawn, you know, on blankets, and they were sunbathing, these very white people. <laughs> who had been inside their homes through cold, dark winter, and this was their first big spring day. You could just sense it. Spring was showing up. There were the signs of spring. We had a great time. We really did. Some of the things, you know, like posing in front of this famous fountain that's in the opening credits of the television show Friends. And, but Leslie and I really did enjoy our time there. And it was just one of the, We hadn't been back east for like that kind of a spring day in a long time, but we really enjoyed it. And it was... I want to emphasize this. You could just see and sense the signs of spring. Spring was showing up. There was evidence of it. I want to talk today about something different that we can see the signs and evidence of, and that is when God shows up. When God shows up in our lives and in our relationships, when he is in charge, when he is in control of our lives, there are specific ways in which we see God in our lives, and those things flow out of our lives so that others see the evidence of God and his control and the lordship of Christ, the control of the spirit in our lives. So today I want to talk about how God shows up, how God shows up. And as we look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21, we'll focus on this, that when we submit ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit, 
God shows up in our relationships with others through our joy, gratitude, and humility. Sometimes we think when God shows up, there's gonna be this giant, powerful sermon that everybody's just gonna go, wow, and God really showed up. Sometimes we think it's when we really raise our hands in worship and there's this outward demonstration, God shows up. Or we think there's something dramatic and awesome and amazing that God does in someone's life, that that's God showing up. Or there's someone that is uniquely gifted in their spiritual gifts and they're using those and God shows up. And God does show up in those things. But in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul, who's writing from prison, who's not in the midst of the best time of life, he's in prison for preaching Jesus, writes to this first century church of believers in the city of Ephesus, and he emphasizes some very basic things where God can show up in the everyday relationships we experience. We live in a world that is full of bitterness, entitlement, and arrogance, we live in a world that whether they recognize it or not, they are longing for a true sense of joy, a deep sense of gratitude, and they're longing for someone to display in some way humility. And I think in the passage we have before us today in our study of this incredible book of Ephesians, we see some very clear evidences of when God shows up, when the Holy Spirit is in control of our lives. Look at verse 18. I'm going to read this. Hannah read it from the New International Version. I'm going to read verse 18. It's on the screen as well from the New Living Translation. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. I like how the New Living Translation says that. It, that will ruin your life. And those of you who have struggled with addiction, substance abuse, alcoholism, anything that controls you outside of yourself or God's control in your life, you know how substance abuse and addiction can ruin your life. It can ruin your marriage, can ruin your family. Some of you maybe weren't the person with the addiction or with the alcoholism, but you know the impact it makes. And I've watched some family members walk through some alcoholism and things with close family members. And it really, when something else gets control of your life like that, some sort of substance, it can destroy you. And I think this passage makes it very clear that it is sin for any follower of Christ to be controlled by marijuana, other kinds of drugs, or alcohol to the point that we are drunk or high and out of control. But there's an alternative. It says, don't be controlled by something else, but allow the Holy Spirit to have control of you. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled. Be being filled is the emphasis here. This is in a command, and this is the main verb of all four verses we're looking at. All the other verbal forms kind of hang off of this. The main command is be filled. That's the idea of be controlled by. And it's in the passive, so it's be being filled by the Holy Spirit. You can't fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. You can't demand the Holy Spirit control you but you can, in a passive way, and yet an intentional way, yield yourself for the Spirit of God to have control of your life. Now what does that mean? That means we take our words, we take our attitudes, we take our thoughts, we take our behaviors, we take our relationships, we take our careers, we take our portfolios, we take our family, we put everything and we say, this is under your control, God. Now, in this passage, we're gonna see all three members of the Trinity mentioned. We believe there is one God, eternally existing, 
in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The Savior sent the Spirit to indwell his followers. And so we have the Holy Spirit in us to guide us, to teach us, to convict us, to empower us, to mold us and shape us and make us more like Jesus. And as we saw in Ephesians chapter one, when a person puts their faith in Jesus as their savior, at that moment they believe they are given, Ephesians one says, the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as a guarantee. He is with us, once God has forgiven us and made us his child through the finished work of Christ, he is with us, the Holy Spirit is with us as the presence of God in our lives until we are with Jesus in a new heavens and a new earth forever. Now I just wanna pause and say this. We're talking about the Holy Spirit that God has placed in us, controlling us. But if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you really can't experience the kind of joy and gratitude and humility we're going to talk about today until you know Christ as Savior and have his Spirit within you, the Holy Spirit. So let me just invite anyone here who yet has yet to cross that line of faith and to trust in the one who died, was buried, and rose again for you to have a relationship with God. Today, trust him. I'd love to be of help to you. I'll be in the lobby afterwards. We can chat a few moments. But what it means to know that you're a follower of Christ, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And if today's the day you put your faith in Christ, I'll celebrate with you. If I can answer questions, I'll help you with that. What we're going to talk about today cannot take place in a life that doesn't know Christ as Savior because that life won't have the Spirit of God in them. Perhaps talking to someone else would help you down front after the service each service, we have our care and prayer team members there to pray about any need you might have to help you in any way. They'll pray with you about receiving Christ. If you're joining us online, even in the room, you can just text the name Jesus to the number on the screen below me. Just write down that number, take out your phone, type it in, and then just take, text the one word Jesus to that number, and we'll send you some resources of what it means to believe in Christ, and how do you now walk with Christ? How do you, how do you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life as you walk with him? We'll have someone on our team follow up with you this week so that you can make sure you understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be a Christian, to be his disciple. And let me remind you again, when you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into you. So what I'm talking about, you cannot experience unless you know Christ as your Savior because you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. If you are here and you've put your faith in Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit within you and he is there ready as you yield control of the various aspects of your life to him, to his lordship and to his reign in your life. As you do that, you can then begin to experience the things that we're talking about in our everyday relationships, which are joy, gratitude, and humility. Sometimes people say, well, to be filled with the Spirit means I've got to get more of the Spirit. I've got to try to get more of him in me. No, you get all of the Spirit when you receive Christ as Savior. Someone has put it this way. It's not how much of the Holy Spirit you have, but how much of you the Holy Spirit has. And I've been praying this week, and I pray for each one in this room, that maybe the Holy Spirit will show you something in your life. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your thought life. Maybe it's your words. Maybe it's your attitude. Maybe it's a relationship you have that, you know, is outside of what God would have for you, that everything in our lives would be under his control. And if there's an area in your life that is not yet yielded to the Spirit of God, that the Holy Spirit, to you as a child of God, will say, here's the area you need to submit to me. You need to yield to my control. You need to let go of that thing and let me have it and control it for you. 
It's not how much of the Holy Spirit you have, but how much of you the Holy Spirit has. There are three things that flow out of this one command. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Be yielding to his control. And what are those things? The first one is found in verse 19, and it's joy. It's joy. Look at verse 19 again. After he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 18, he then gives the first of several participles that hang on this main command, be filled. In verse 19, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. There's an emphasis that we sing together like we've done this morning, and it speaks of a variety of psalms. Psalms, like the ones found in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms in the Old Testament was the hymnal for the people of Israel in the days of the tabernacle and the temple. Psalms come right out of Scripture. And then it says hymns, and these are hymns that just praise God for who he is. Because of who he is, we can lift him up. That no matter what's happened this week, he is the same, and we can exalt him and praise him. And then there's songs from the Spirit, and this speaks of, of things that happen in our life where we meet God in those moments, and then there are songs that speak of the experience of the Christian life and the joy and gratitude and humility that grows from the Christian life and the songs that are spurred by what God is doing in our hearts in the midst of our everyday circumstances. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. You see, joy, joy is represented here in this singing heart that Paul is talking about, that there will be a new song in our hearts. There'll be a new joy that we will have in the Lord. C.S. Lewis said, the very nature of joy makes nonsense of our common distinction between having and wanting. Let me read that again. Think about this. The very nature of joy makes nonsense of our common distinction between having and wanting. What's the nonsense? We want this. We have these expectations. And if these expectations aren't met, then we're dissatisfied. We lack joy. We're robbed of joy. And he says there should be no distinction there. You see, the joy that comes into the life of the believer is not a joy that comes based on circumstances. Today was good, so I have joy. Tomorrow is bad, so I won't have joy. No, our joy is not based on our circumstances. Our joy is based upon our relationship with God. Based upon who Christ is, our joy is found in the Lord, in our submitting to the Holy Spirit's control, allowing him to take whatever happens in our lives, good, bad, or ugly, and to use them for his glory and the good of others. That's where joy comes from, that God has me and I have him. Nothing can take that away, and so at the bedrock of my life, I have this assurance, I have this contentedness, I have this joy, I have this satisfaction Paul said it to the Philippian church when he said, whether I have a little or I have a lot, I have learned to be content. Why? Because I've got Jesus. That's where our basic satisfaction and contentedness comes from. And so Paul speaks of this joy, a singing heart. The psalmist said we're to make a joyful noise before the Lord in Psalm 100. It doesn't say a good joyful noise, a professional joyful noise. A lot of you are probably like me. If we were to sing a solo, everyone would leave the room. But when we know Christ, there is a joy that brings a song to our hearts. And notice it's not just something that happens to us privately. In verse 19, this is a singing heart. It's a singing heart that sings with the hearts of others. It sings with the hearts of others. It says we're speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. That's what happened already today. So that as we come in and we sing together and praise the Lord, as you 
Lift up your voice. Somebody down the road from you hearing your voice and the voice of all those who gathered, their spirit is lifted and encouraged by what's happening to us together as a whole. And let me just say to those of you who join us regularly online, we're so thrilled you can join us online. We're glad that that's an option for you. But if you're already out going out to eat and you're going to school and you're going to work and you're going to all these different places, then it might be time then to be back in church unless there's a physical need or something that's hindering you because your voice is needed here, not just about you, but others need to hear your voice as a part of corporate worship. And you need to hear our voices. And as we sing to one another these songs that lift up our God in the midst of difficult trials and exalt him for who he is, it reminds us of the joy we have that Christ has us and we have Christ no matter what happens. We link our joy and satisfaction and contentedness to our relationship with God, and we build each other up as we worship and sing together. Not only do we sing with, heart, with the hearts of others, but we sing from our hearts to God. The last part of verse 19, he says, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. Singing, now this gets down to me personally, where I make that joyful noise, no matter how bad it sounds, or I'm, I'm humming in my own heart, I'm, I'm singing in the shower, I'm singing while I'm driving. There's a song in my heart that comes from my heart to the Lord. It's very personal and it flows from, from me to him. Psalm 108 verse one says, my heart, O God, is steadfast. I will sing and make music with all my soul. Psalm 40 in verse three says, he has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. When you link your satisfaction in life, your contentedness to your relationship with God first and foremost, then it puts things like your marriage and your career and, and the trials of life and the successes of life in a place of context. And there is a song that flows from your heart to the Lord that no matter what, you have joy deep in your heart that you express to him. The mid-18th century pastor and hymn writer Robert Robinson, who wrote, Come thou fount of every blessing, said this, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace, to sing of your goodness, your mercy, who you are. May my heart be in tune to who you are, not in tune to my circumstances, because my song is going to go up and down but it would be the joy that floods my heart and overflows into my life. Now we believe the scriptures, like the book of Ephesians and the New Testament, were inspired, breathed by God, and written down by human authors as God used their experiences and their minds and their vocabulary to communicate his eternal truth to us. And so the book of Ephesians is written by God the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. And I find it interesting that the Spirit of God determined that when he talks about this singing heart, that he would start with the corporate singing, singing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and then he would say, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. If, if I had written this, I would have thought, okay, the individual has this song, and then I show up on Sunday, and I bring my song with me, and it blesses everybody else. But the passage implies that as we gather, we're all rejuvenated, we're all reminded of the, the God we have, the God we walk with, we're all reminded of the deep satisfaction we have together as we start the week in worship, worshiping together on a weekend, even here now in the 11 o'clock service on Sunday, so that our 
song together unto the Lord and hearing one another sing together unto the Lord spurs me that now Monday and Tuesday as I'm driving to work, as I'm, as I'm going through my day, there is a song in my heart individually because of God that even has been stirred and made fresh in the corporate worship together. Again, why it's so important for us to gather together to build one another up even in corporate worship. Joy is one of the evidences that God shows up. And when we experience that joy, then guess what? It overflows. And instead of bitterness and crankiness and irritability, our spouses, our children, our coworkers, our neighbors, the people around us, the friends, the folks we hang out, even with a, a stranger, they sense something different because when God shows up, one of the evidences is joy, a singing heart. And if you say, well, I, I lack that song in my heart, then there is something you need to submit to the control of the Spirit of God. Maybe it's a, a relationship. Maybe it's an attitude you have. Maybe it's a trial or, or a difficulty you've been going through. Maybe it's something that happened 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Maybe it's something that happened yesterday that you're still brewing on and it's still dragging you down and it's, it's what is determining your contentedness in life other than Christ. Then submit that to the control of the Holy Spirit and as you put it under the spirit of God's control, God will give you a song in your heart, a joy that you will share with other believers that will bless you and bless others. I was kind of curious about age groups of adults and their satisfaction or joy in life, so I looked at a lot of research on the satisfaction levels of people at different stages of life. And if you look at like 20 to 40, those early adult years, there's a certain level of satisfaction. You look at the middle adult years, 40 to 60, actually it, it rates with some of the highest levels of dissatisfaction, lack of joy because of midlife crisis and a lot of things that people go through in those, those years, uh, years sometimes of turbulence. I'm in the middle of those. I don't quite see it that way all the time, but I can understand it. But then 60 plus, that was interesting. They rate the most satisfied, joyful people, not only in secular surveys, but in surveys of Christians, 60 plus tend to be more satisfied and they have more joy. Maybe it's because they've reached a stage and one of the big factors of satisfaction for those 60 plus was their grandchildren actually. Isn't that interesting? Those of you who are grandparents can understand that. But what was also interesting that in that age group of 60 plus, there was a harder distinction between those who had joy and those who did not. And so a lot of the surveys that I looked through and the research I looked at over the last couple of weeks preparing for this message, uh, they talked about how as you age, you either get more bitter or you get better. There's a, there's a distinction because there are some people as they age, because life didn't work out the way they'd hoped or there was a, a divorce they went through, there was a circumstance, a, a, a wayward child, a, a financial collapse, maybe retirement wasn't what they thought it was going to be in terms of the dollars they set aside and whatever it was, that either people go into a deeper satisfaction or they are robbed of satisfaction and become bitter and cranky and angry at the world, at the church, at their family, at everyone else. Can I just encourage you that whatever it is that irritates you, whatever age level you are, make sure you're aiming to have a deeper joy, not more bitterness. 
You say, how do you do that? You take the things that maybe upset you, the things that discourage you, the things that frustrate you, and you commit them to the spirit of God's control. You take uh, the things of your attitude, your relationships, your behaviors, your words, your thoughts, and you submit it all to God. You keep yielding it to him each morning, saying, here's a thing I keep taking back and I keep getting bitter over, and I, I give it to you. You are my joy. You are my steady rock. You have me, and I have you, and I submit this again to the spirit of God's control. And watch how God cultivates joy in your heart and restores you to a song like the psalmist talks about. Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying to you, here's that thing that is robbing you of joy. Submit that to him today. You say, well, that be like that'll be over. No, submit it again tomorrow. Submit it again the next day. Submit it the next day. And watch God change your attitude and cultivate deep joy in you. And God will show up in your everyday relationships as people see that joy spill over into the lives of others, in person and online. Secondly, not only will others see joy, a singing heart that will come from us when we are yielded to the spirit of God's control, when we are filled with the spirit. But secondly, there's this element of gratitude. Gratitude. It's a thankful heart. A thankful heart. Look at verse 20. Always giving thanks. Stop, that's hard right there, isn't it? <laughs> always giving thanks. Other scriptures will say, always giving thanks for everything. It doesn't say sometimes, it doesn't say some things. Good, bad, or ugly. We've gotta thank God because God has a plan and a purpose behind that tragedy, that trial. God has a purpose or a plan behind that success or that, that, that great achievement. We have to submit all of that to the spirit of God's control so that we can have hearts of gratitude. Always giving thanks, verse 20 says, to God the Father. We submit control to the spirit. We give thanks to the Father. And notice, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A couple of things about gratitude, having a grateful, thankful heart. First of all, it's a thankful heart to God for everything. Everything. That's not easy. Matter of fact, there have been times in my life in tears I've thanked God for something I really didn't want in my life or didn't want to happen or I didn't like the pain. But I have to thank God and say, God, you know better than I do. And God, you're doing something to mold me and shape me and make me more like Jesus through this difficulty for the good of others, for your glory. There's something you're doing. I don't know what it is right now, but I submit that to you. I commit that to you. This is yours. It's under the spirit of God's control. And as we do that, we lose our sense of entitlement. Where what I think I should have, if I don't get it, then I'm not gonna be grateful. I'm not gonna really be blessed. I will define what is a blessing or not. When God says, you turn it over to me, and you'll be able to say, thank you for everything that comes into your life to me. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. People ask me, what is God's will? Giving thanks to God always for all things is clearly in the Bible stated as a part of God's will because it helps us, it is better for us. And when we become grateful people, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, God shows up in our lives and it overflows and people begin to say, how can they see that God could do something good in this brokenness? How could they see God in the midst of this tragedy? Because they begin to see the reality of God in our lives, Christ in our lives, and they see, even though they can't identify it, that the Spirit of God has filled us and controlled us even through the harshest circumstances. Gratitude is so critical. A few weeks ago I mentioned 
that it's not happy people who are grateful, but grateful people who are happy. Gratitude is so important to God for everything and to God through Jesus. The last part of that verse, verse 20, give thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we yield to the Spirit of God, control of everything, even the good, bad, and ugly in our lives. We give thanks to God, but we do it in the name of Jesus. Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Because Jesus is the one who gave us access to the Father. Sin broke that relationship, and every human being is born with that wall, that curtain between us and God. But when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was ripped wide open, Matthew tells us, so that we have access, as the writer of Hebrews says, we have boldness to go in before the throne of grace. How do we do it? In Jesus' name. We have access to God through Jesus. Not just to make our requests known, but we can go to God in gratitude and thanks in Jesus' name. It's through Christ that we can express our gratitude to God. We live in a world where there's a lot of entitlement, and what we think we deserve we don't get means then we're gonna have a sour attitude, we're gonna be bitter people, we're gonna be angry people, we're gonna be cranky people because this isn't working out the way we wanted, this isn't how we visioned our life, this isn't how we visioned our family, this isn't how we envisioned whatever it was. Entitlement and an entitled spirit not just, I'm not just talking about rich kids being entitled or children being spoiled. I'm talking about when we have expectations that we kind of make demands on God and we expect and we're not submitting our thoughts and our desires to the Lord, then that develops in us an ungrateful spirit. We've got to fight that. Sometimes we can have blessings all around us and we still are ungrateful. I read the story of two guys who've been friends for years and they run into each other in Starbucks and the one guy who comes in to the Starbucks and sees his friend across the room, he walks across to greet him, hadn't seen him in years, but he notices he just looks really down and sad and he walks up to him, they say hello and then the friend who's just entered the Starbucks says, I, I hate to ask you this, but you really look sad, are you okay? Oh no, no, it's miserable, it's just life is so hard and I just, I can't even begin to explain it and He'd always seen his friend Chipper, so the, the fellow says, so what is it that has really gotten you down? And the guy says, well, see, three months ago, I had a cousin who died and left me $40,000. Okay, so what is it that's made, oh, oh wait, wait, you gotta hear the whole story. Not only was it three months ago did a cousin die and leave me $40,000. Two months ago, a great aunt I had that I didn't even know I had died and left me $85,000. The fellow's saying, okay, I don't get it. Why are you so sad? Why are you so upset? Wait, you gotta hear the whole story. Okay, well, what is it then? He says, you see, not only did I receive $40,000 in inheritance three months ago, two months ago, I received that $85,000, but one month ago, my grandmother that I loved dearly died and left me $250,000 in her will. The guy says, what is, what, what, what is this? I'm, you gotta hear the whole story. Then what is it? Well, $40,000, $85,000 next month, $250,000 last month, and so far this is the 16th of the month and nothing yet. <laughs> but isn't that how we can be sometimes? In that moment we say, I don't have what I want right now. My expectations aren't being met right now, and we miss the other blessings that are around us. Where we need to thank God always for all things. In the name of Jesus, we need to have gratitude, a thankful heart. 
Maybe there's an area where you have had unmet expectations. And so there's been a lack of gratitude or thankfulness on your part. Maybe it has to do with your family. Maybe it has to do with your finances. Maybe it has to do with your job. Maybe it has to do with a friendship, a relationship. And maybe you need to take that thing today afresh and say, okay, Spirit of God, I yield this to your control. Fill me in this area. This is under your control now. I yield it to you. And watch what God does to cultivate not only joy in your heart, a singing heart, but a a thankful heart full of gratitude as you yield to him whatever it is that's robbing you of a grateful heart. Third and finally, how does God show up? Not just in the joy of the singing heart, not just in the gratitude of the thankful heart, but thirdly, in humility, a submissive heart. To be submissive is to put the other person first, their needs, their wants first. In every relationship, Verse 21 says, submit to one another. That's also a participle, submitting to one another out of, reference, out of ref, reverence for Christ. So again, the main verb is be filled, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. What will be the evidence of that? That singing, that singing joyful heart, that thankfulness, that gratitude. And then the third participle that hangs on all this key participle here under that command to be filled is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now verses 22 through chapter 6 verse 9 then say how that works out in our everyday relationships at home, at work, in the various settings where we are and give specific examples and we'll explore that next week. But every believer who is under the spirit of God's control is willing to be submitting to others, putting others first There is this idea in our modern Christian thinking that solid, good Christians have a rebellious spirit. Actually, we're to be people of a submissive spirit, putting the needs of other people first. And when we are unable to carry out the mission God has given us or the message that God has given us, then we we speak up. But otherwise, there is an attitude in Scripture, just like the attitude of Christ, that we're to have a submissive spirit where we see ourselves as servants to our spouses, our children, our grandchildren. We see ourselves as servants to our coworkers, our bosses, those who work for us, that we have a perspective that we are here to serve. Submitting to one another out of, reference, out of reverence for Christ. A submissive heart, first of all, submits to others in your life. If you have a submissive heart, you'll submit to others in your life. It's what Jesus did. It's what he taught. Matter of fact, when the disciples were squabbling about who was going to lead and be in charge, he said, you want to know what leadership is in my kingdom? Leadership in my kingdom is not top down. Leadership in my kingdom is servanthood. If you want to be great in my kingdom, learn to be the servant of all, Jesus said. And then he demonstrated it in the upper room the night before he was crucified. He got down on his knee and he washed the feet of his disciples, grimy and dirty from traveling the dusty roads of, of the land of Israel. And he did what the lowliest servant was supposed to do. He served them by washing their feet. And he calls us to have that same submissive spirit he did. Not, not a doormat spirit, but a spirit that says you are valued. God loves you. You have human dignity. You are important. I am going to serve you. I'm going to help you. I am here to help meet your needs and your wants to others. That means we have to take the lower position and allow others to be in that higher position 
First Thessalonians 5.18, excuse me, Walt, I've already read that. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, a great person is always willing to be little. A great person is always willing to be little. Are you willing to be little in the presence of other people? You say, but I'm important. I've got these degrees. I'm the owner of the company. I've reached this status. Jesus was the creator of the universe, the Lord of all, and he was willing to put other people first. Just think it'd be like in a church like Calvary if we all put each other first and it wasn't about what we want or what we think we need, but it was about what others want and others need. Just think of how all of our needs we met mutually together in submitting to one another. Why do we do this? Because of Christ in your life. You have a submissive heart. You have this kind of humility because of Christ in your life. Out of reverence for Christ. He is our example. And he said to his disciples after he washed their feet, if I, your Lord and Master, have done this for you as an example of how you should be submissive and serving others, then think about how much more you need to be doing this. If I, your Lord and Master, are doing this, follow my example. You ought to wash one another's feet. You ought to serve one another. We need the spirit that says, I'm not too important to serve this person right now. I'm not too important to put this person's needs and wants ahead of my own. I need to do that as Christ did for me. You know, humility can be a tricky thing. Not long ago, someone came to me and they had my memoir, All But Normal Life on Victory Road, and they had it in hard copy, which there weren't very many printed in hard copy, and a lot of them ended up in libraries, and that's why they printed a library edition. And So they walked up to me and said, hey, I, I got one of your books, I haven't read it yet, and um, I'd, I'd love for you to sign it. And I said, well, that's pretty cool. You've got a hard copy, and it had a real nice, clear vinyl book cover on it. And they, they said, yeah, I, I, I bought it on eBay. I said, you did? That's cool. And they said, yeah, um, it's, it's kind of a library copy, so I didn't steal it from the library, it, it, but I bought it on eBay, and I wouldn't want to buy your book. And when I found it on eBay, let me tell you, he said, it was so cheap. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, I'm glad you got a good bargain on it. I, he says, as a matter of fact, you notice it is a library copy and it has the thing in the front and it, it even shows uh, how many people checked it out and it's in mint condition because nobody ever checked the book out. <laughs> and again, it's like, thank you. And I kind of signed it and sort of said, God bless you. Thank you for encouraging me today. <laughs> now that it was signed, it maybe he could resell it on eBay for 10 cents more than he bought it for. I don't know. There's a way sometimes God humbles us, Right? But then there is a way in which we develop humility by constantly submitting everything about our lives and the things we're struggling with and the things we keep taking control over. We keep submitting those things to the Lord and the Lord will remind us to put other people first and to grow in our humility. The great evangelist of the late 1800s, D.L. Moody, had traveled in England extensively all around the world. He was one of the most famous preachers in the world of his day. He had a Bible school in Massachusetts and he invited a bunch of pastors from England to come over to the Bible school and they were staying in the dormitories there. And um, at night, one night, uh, Moody wanted to pray for the pastors he knew were there. So he walked through the hallways after everybody had gone to bed in this, this school's dormitory, all these guests from England. And as he started walking through the hallway, he saw their shoes outside the doors and he remembered that when he traveled in England, hotels and places, places you stay and folks you stay with in their homes, They'll have you put their, your shoes outside the door and somebody, usually the lowest servant or the lowest person in the hotel, whoever they are, through the night, gathers all those shoes, shines them and puts them back where they found them. 
So Moody's walking through praying, and he's thinking about, who can I get to shine these shoes? And it dawned on him, I can shine these shoes. So he took them all back to the room he was staying in, and through the night, he spent the night shining the shoes of these other pastors. Now, he was one of the most famous preachers in all the world. And when he was putting them back in the early morning hours, one of his own staff saw him and was sworn to secrecy, and it wasn't until after D.L. Moody was gone that that staff member told the story of how D.L. Moody put the needs of others first and humbled himself and served them. And that, that story is a great illustration of how no matter who we are, we need to put the needs of other people ahead of our own. You know, when we, we look at our lives and we ask, is it going to be in the big things God shows up in our everyday relationships? When we submit ourselves to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit's control, God shows up in those everyday relationships with others through our joy, gratitude, and humility as we yield everything to the Spirit of God's control. Do you see a singing heart, that heart of joy? Do you see a, a thankful heart, that heart of gratitude? Do you see a submissive heart, a, a heart of humility in you? If not, yield areas that the Holy Spirit reveals to you and shows you in your life to his control and watch God cultivate the kind of joy and gratitude and humility our world needs to see. I'm telling you, we live in a world that's full of bitterness, entitlement, and arrogance, and oh, the world, they don't even know they're longing for the beauty and light of Christ to shine through us in true joy and gratitude and humility. It will draw more people to Jesus if we are submitted to the spirit of God's control, if we are filled by the spirit, if we're be being filled by the spirit. That kind of joy, gratitude, and humility will be seen in us. It's just like Paul told the Galatian believers in Galatians 5, to 23, he said, the fruit of the Spirit will be these kinds of things, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want to use this glove as kind of a final illustration. Let's refer, this is just a human being, and this happens to be a work glove. It'll help you so you don't get splinters if you're working with wood. You can even be working with weeds and not get thorns, and it's a work glove. And this work glove just sitting here like this with no hand in it isn't going to fulfill its purpose or accomplish anything. There's nothing you can see that doing that shows what its purpose is or what it's designed for. But you could put a hand in the glove and then you say, okay, now there's something there, right? But if the hand doesn't move the glove, then it's still not fulfilling its purpose. But when the hand is moving the glove, the glove is then able to fulfill its purpose. Before we come to Christ, we're like this glove without the presence of God in our lives. The moment we receive Jesus as Savior, we are given the Holy Spirit, all of the Holy Spirit, his presence within us, God the Holy Spirit, and he is inside of us. But to be filled with the Holy Spirit as we yield control so that he's the one who is moving and working through us in our thought life, our attitudes, our relationships, our behaviors, at home, at work, wherever we are, he's moving us. And the evidence that we are fulfilling the purpose God has for us as his children is that people around us see the joy, the gratitude, and the humility overflowing in our lives, and they too are drawn to Jesus. Maybe you know Christ as Savior, but there are areas of your life you haven't yielded to the Holy Spirit, haven't submitted to him, and he's spoken to you today. Take those things each day this week and Yield them, submit them to the spirit of God's control. Hand them over to him and let him move you and shape you so the joy, gratitude, and humility that our world needs to see in the followers of Christ will be seen so clearly 
and they'll come to Jesus too. And our lives will have that deep sense of joy and satisfaction, that gratitude and thankfulness. We'll have that humility that we want our lives to be used for the good of others and the glory of God. Let me ask you, does God show up through you? Are there things you need to surrender to him? Maybe there's something specific God wants you to submit to him today. Each day this week, take that and say, God, I submit my attitude. I submit that relationship. I submit this thing at work. I submit this. I yield this to you. Fill me. May the Holy Spirit fill me and control me in every aspect of my life. And as you do that as a regular behavior and pattern, your joy will grow deeper, your gratitude will grow deeper, your humility will grow deeper, and it will overflow in your everyday relationships, and people will see Jesus in you to the glory of God. Have you surrendered all to the control of the Spirit? Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you'd help us. I know you've been working on me this week about areas of my life that some areas I don't even seem to have control over, but I have an attitude about them. I submit that attitude to you. Father, there's some of us who are struggling with things in our work life or maybe in our relationships and friendships at home. May we submit those struggles. Some have seen some great successes in areas of their lives, but may they submit those things to you as well giving you complete control. Father, we ask that as we are filled with your spirit and controlled by your spirit in every aspect, may that joy and that gratitude and that humility you cultivate in us draw other people to Jesus, not just to us, not just to the idea of Christianity, but to Christ. I pray for those who maybe are wrestling with things the spirit of God's pointed out that they have not yet submitted to his control. May they do that. May they do that today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.